We're going to skip the Island Messenger intro today and get right into it because we want to get to our guests on the lowdown. The guests on the lowdown this morning are Mike Powers from the borough, uh, Mike Twangy from the city, and Jim Mulliken from the fire department. They should have lots of good information for us. And uh, we're going to get to them post haste. It is currently 36 degrees outside under fair skies. Uh, wind is out of the west at 20 miles per hour, and the wind chill is about 25. Sunny today with a high near 43. Northwest winds 20 to 25. Tonight mostly clear with a low around 30. West winds 5 to 10 miles per hour. Thursdays, 20% uh, chance of rain after 1 p.m. and increasing clouds with a high near 44. Warming up here. A, um, let's see. It's the 18th day of March. Sun rose at 8.15. It was a gorgeous sunrise this morning. Sunset tonight at 8.22. 12 hours and 6 minutes of daylight. We are now gaining 5 minutes and 1 second per day. The record high in 1935 was 50 degrees, and the record low in 1991 was 5 degrees. Um, the marine synopsis for the North Gulf Coast and Kodiak Island waters, a 1,012 millibar low near Middleton Island moves into the eastern gulf this morning. High pressure builds over the southern gulf through late Thursday night. Chidiac Bay Marine Forecast, there is a small craft advisory today. Northwest winds 25 knots today, diminishing to 15 knots in the afternoon. Seas 4 feet, subsiding to 2 feet in the afternoon. Tonight, southwest winds 10 knots in the evening, becoming variable. Less than 10 knots, seas 2 feet. For Marmot Bay, there is a small craft advisory today. With west winds 25 knots, diminishing to 15 knots in the afternoon, seas 5 feet, subsiding to 3 feet in the afternoon. And tonight, west winds 15 knots, diminishing to 10 knots after midnight, seas 2 feet. City Council will hold a special meeting on today, actually, March 18th at 1.30 p.m. in the City Multipurpose Library in the library multi-purpose room. The public portion of this meeting is open to the public by teleconference only. This is a change in how most of our meetings are going to be for the next couple of weeks at least. The public call-in number is 486-8610. That's 486-8610 for the city meeting at 1.30 today. Senior Citizens of Kodiak is not closed, but they have suspended Island Cove Adult Day program until further notice. Congregate meals are being delivered to seniors at the back door through a drive-through program. Home-delivered meals are available to seniors, and they can call 486-6181 before 10 a.m. to get a meal delivered. All activities at the senior have been at the senior center have been suspended otherwise. Senior center staff encourage people who have questions or need assistance to call the center and they'll try to answer your questions over the phone. If they can't answer their questions, they'll meet you one person at a time at the center with an appointment. CATS is operating currently for only for riders who have medical appointments and to get people to work. For more information, please call the Senior Center at 486-6181.
The Assembly is having a mer emergency meeting Thursday, March 19th at 6.30 p.m. via teleconference. The meeting was called by the mayor and deputy presiding officers. Uh, let's see. The agenda items are uh, ordinance number FY 2020-18, emergency ordinance to allow regular meetings to be conducted by teleconference. You can call the notification line at 486-9315 for an automatic recording of ups upcoming assembly meetings, agendas, and public hearings. We'll be broadcasting that meeting on Thursday. And uh, they have a regular agenda that you can get on their website. Okay, uh, tides. We have a high tide at 1014 a.m. this morning of 7.54 feet and a low tide tonight. Of five at 5:40 p.m. of 0.81 feet on the west side in the Guyanic Bay tides we have a high tide at 10:51 a.m. of 11.59 feet and a low tide at 6:09 p.m. of 2.13 feet and that's it for the Island Messenger this morning stay tuned for the lowdown we also have a special program a live nationwide call-in program from American Public Media and the BBC this morning at 10 a.m. we'll have more information about that right at 10 you can find more info on our website and Facebook page Listen for the Island Messenger here on Public Radio KMXT three times a day, Monday through Friday at 9 a.m., during the midday report at 1220, and in the evening at 7 o'clock. If you have a community announcement or personal message, including lost and found items or pets, you can call KMXT at 486-3181, fax us at 486-2733, or email psa at kmxt.org. Welcome to The Lowdown, KMXT's new daily show dedicated to giving you the up-to-date information we have available on the COVID-19 outbreak and how it's impacting life on Kodiak Island. The Lowdown will focus on the facts as provided to us by local and state officials. During the show, we give you access to local officials and experts on COVID-19 and community actions related to it. If you have questions for our guests, please email them to lowdown at kmxt.org or call KMXT at 486-3181. You can find a list of upcoming guests on our Facebook page or on our website, kmxt.org. Audio from each day's program will be posted on the website. Services Council is and uh, what your plans for the near future are. 
All right, thank you. So this is Mike Twenge. I'm the Emergency Services Director uh, by code for the city and borough. Um, the Emergency Services Council is made up of um, local agencies, the uh, Coast Guard, the Alaska State Troopers, the borough and city managers, and borough and city mayors. Um, we've been meeting regularly um, the last se several days. Um, we met again this morning at 7.30, and it's our uh, policy to keep up with the actions taken by the state and, and what the uh, CDC is doing and, and craft uh, a prevention plan or a response plan here in Kodiak. So you're by default because of your current, your regular job, this is part of your, of your, of your job that to be on the emergency service. That's center. correct. It's the city manager. So this is a core group. This, you're kind of the general group that oversees the general advisory group that exists. Is that right? The LEPC group? Um, Chief, do you want to speak to that? Certainly. Uh, it's Jim Mullican. I'm the fire chief. Uh, for a correction, I am not on the Emergency Services Council. I work for them. Oh, I so see. the Emergency Services <coughs> Council is made up of both uh, city, uh, city and borough mayors, both uh, city and uh, borough managers, the captain of the Coast Guard base, the captain of the air station, and the head of the state trooper barracks. And that, by code, was set up a while ago because of all their abilities to govern the peoples that they oversee. So this is the core group that was set up to allow uh, quick action and needed direction for response to emergencies. The, both the borough assembly and the city council are still part of this process, but they are the, the power is vested in the emergency services council and then if uh, ordinances or resolutions are needed to further uh, whatever the, the direction is we're traveling to respond to that community-wide emergency, would then go to those, to those lawmaking bodies, and they can enact the laws and the ordinances and stuff needed by the council to complete our task. So from the council, below them, you have the Emergency Operations Center. That is the worker bees. That's the, the core group that gets the job done. So the, the Emergency Services Council sets the um, goal or the objectives of what we need to accomplish. Then the Emergency Services Director is also in charge of the Emergency Operations Center. He then comes down to us, gives us our, our marching orders, and then we complete the job. Uh, other organizations that contribute to the operations plan in when we're building the plan and approving it, which has already been completed, there are groups such as like the Alert, uh, Local Emergency Planning uh, Committee, the LEPC. Part of their job is to review and go over plans dealing with hazardous materials. And then that part is added into our overall plan. The LEPC is not a response organization and it's not part of the Emergency Services Council and the Emergency Services Response. They are a, they are a planning uh, addition to this as well as stuff that uh, the assembly or the council has concerns with also is brought into this when we, when we formulate our plans. So our operations plan, our pandemic response plan are both on the city website and the borough website and they've been there for many years. So uh, the, the community can go to those sites, pull up the plans themselves, read through them and it gives you, it fleshes out the skeleton of how we're going to respond to this because 
you can't write a plan for everything that's out there. Right. So the plans are written in a way that allows us to say, okay, here are the primary points that we want to meet. And then part of what we do in the EOC is formulate our operations plan for how do we meet that objective and implement whatever it is. So it's designed all hazards. So whether it's a tsunami, whether it's earthquake damage, in this case, we're dealing with something just, just out, of, out of a lot of people's uh, wheelhouse, and that's a pandemic flu. Right. So each of you are still attending business of the city and the borough and making plans individually at that level. Now I understand the city council is making some plans to assist you guys this afternoon at a special meeting. The borough is maybe already attended to that, Mike? So th this is Michael Powers. I'm the borough manager. Uh, the borough will be having an emergency meeting Thursday night at 6.30 uh, to set up uh, teleconferencing. Um, part of what works in pandemics is social isolation or social distancing. And so we'll be doing telephonic meetings from here on out, as will the city, it's my understanding, so that we don't have to put all of the policymakers in the same room and potentially expose them uh, to COVID-19. Yeah. As far as daily operations, they do go on. We um, have taken some actions already to limit uh, access to the borough building. We're also working on limiting uh, exposure of our employees and the public at the landfill. Um, and we have closed down KFRC for and the touch tank for the exact same reason. What, what have you done at the city level? So we've uh, closed some facilities to the public, as you know. I'm sure that's been announced, the, li the library, the teen center, the swimming pool, the ice rink, et cetera. Um, there's, because we're in the borough building, um, the borough has established a protocol for access to the building, which we're following, and we're appreciative of that. Um, we have, uh, right now, any, any employees that are off-island and returning to Kodiak we're asking to stay home for 14 days. They're, if they have the ability to work, um, they're gonna continue to work. Right now we, we have uh, all, all our employees that uh, are here in town are working right now, um, continuing to work. There's work to be done um, besides being open to the public. Um, you, can still, you can still call, you can still email. Um, business goes on as normal that way, but uh, Right now, there's not a lot of public interaction, keeping with the separation distances. Are, are you a, are we self-contained here? Do you work under the direction of uh, another office, a statewide office, who gives you advice on what you do locally, or are we, do we do whatever we do based on what you folks decide? We have the ability to do uh, make decisions locally. Um, as the Emer State Emergency Operations Center s states, all disasters are local. Yeah, and, and the uh, governor's office is routinely putting out their health mandates, which we, we pick up from there and implement them in our own communities. The uh, Department of Public Health has stood up their Emergency Operations Center, and they are giving guidance and direction out to the local communities so that we have uh, top-of-the-line information and direction from the higher levels. You see the president coming out with his directions for everything from economic stimulus to response to shutting down borders, stuff of that nature. 
That then goes into the state system. The state system does the same thing from the governor's level, the state emergency operations center level, comes down to us, and then we implement those. And then if there are additional things, because the state doesn't necessarily know everything that, happen, that needs to happen here on Kodiak. So they do it from that broader perspective, and then it comes down to us. And then working in the same direction and along the same lines, we are then able to enact things here on Kodiak that meet Kodiak's needs. Gotcha. Okay, so we haven't touched on what you what directives you got from the governor's office yesterday. Mike, do you want to explain to folks what what we just got? Yeah, this this event is changing so rapidly. Um, you know, as we try to stay in touch with what the local government's doing, or Alaska state governments are doing, um, we just received a, a health mandate. Um, I first read it this morning, um, and I'll read a couple pieces from it. Um, mandate 3.1, by order of the governor, beginning March 18th at 5 p.m., that's today, and continuing, continuing until April 1st at 5 p.m., the following mandates are in effect. Um, with the goal of minimizing in-person interaction in closed spaces, effective today, 5 p.m., all bars, breweries, restaurants, food and beverage, kiosks, or trucks, and other establishments serving food or beverages within the state of Alaska shall be closed to the public dine-in service. All buffets and salad bars are closed to self-service. Um, also, um, th those restaurants or the places of accommodation are encouraged to offer food and beverage using a delivery service, a window service, walk-up service, drive-through service, or drive-up service, and to use precautions in, or in doing so to mitigate the potential transmission of COVID-19, including social distancing. Um, food and beverage places of accommodation are subject to uh, five members of the public at one time in the place of public accommodation while they're picking up their food or beverage orders and all entertainment facilities shall be closed to the public including theaters gyms and fitness centers bowling alleys and bingo halls now these questions have been asked of me in the last several days what what the city would be doing the governor just did that uh, last night and uh, effective today so these are statewide directives. So that also, this also includes theaters, gyms, fitness centers as well. They're all going to be closed at 5 o'clock. But in terms of a, the restaurants that don't already have dine-in service, they're still going to be able to deliver out the door. I don't understand the five-people five concept. Are, are you going to, have to be able to line five people up at the door of Safeway or at Subway and have somebody come to the door and deliver them food? Um, I'm not sure of all the details there, Mike, but uh, that seems to make sense to me. Um, this may permit up to five members of the public at one time in the place of public accommodation for the purpose of picking up their food or beverage orders. So, so, so perhaps Henry's could still be open, for instance, but people only five people could go in at a time and pick up their food. Yeah, that's what it says, in the place of public accommodation. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll admit that, that this does not include uh, grocery stores, pharmacies, convenience stores, etc., with the exception of buffets and salad bars. So... So let no, me ask no you: orders, Can, can no you orders. guys go? Can you guys go more s stricter than the guidelines from the state? Yes, we can. Yes. Okay. 
Yes, we can. Okay. So that's one directive that we're going to close <clears throat> close the bars and the gyms today um, with with a limited limited access to them, and then we had another advisory as well. So if I could speak just a bit more to that, we sure. recognize the economic impact on the community, the whole state, the whole nation is seeing this. Um, this is this mandate is meant to protect the health of all of us. And if we can slow down the spread of the coronavirus, um, spread it out in, so that the healthcare providers can um, manage this, should we see an outbreak here in, in Kodiak, um, we're all the better for it. It's a, it's a disruption of our daily lives, but we are um, under different times right now. Uh, let me ask you, just a kind of a hypothetical, if somebody doesn't comply with this, what what kind of powers do you have to, to to force compliance? Is it something you talk about? So, because it is a directive from the governor under an emergency declaration, um, the various jurisdictions, not just us, but everyone has authority to enforce compliance. Um, we're hoping everyone will just voluntarily comply and realize that the only way to slow the coronavirus, like any pandemic, is social distancing. People of Kodiak tend to pull together on stuff, and so we're not anticipating any significant problems. I would hope so. Um, so we have a health alert as well that affects um, families and child care, right? We're all affected here. Um, this alert that came out from uh, Ann Zink yesterday, the Health Health and Serv Social Services Committee to the Wealth and Well-Being of Alaska's <coughs> following aggressive measures to screen children for respiratory infections, not allowed ch ill children to uh, attend child care centers. If a child has been outside of Alaska for 14 days, they shouldn't be allowed in a child care center. Um, and people who work with children. I mean, it's it's affecting us at all levels, but um, that on a local level, with school being out as well, that's kind of an issue, isn't it? Yeah. Fortunately, it's spring break right now, yeah. and they've uh, added an, an additional week um, as they prepare for um, the next phase. And it, if I may, it certainly is... Um, child care is certainly a concern um, amongst employees everywhere with the extended spring break. We're seeing parents having to, and, care, and grandparents and other providers of, um, who have kids uh, having to scramble. We're trying, at least at the borough, to be reasonable in accommodating our parents and those that have children in the home, uh, but it's going to be difficult. We realize that um, there's no telling how long school will actually be out. We know it's two weeks at this point. Um, that extra week is definitely causing some heartburn. I've received numerous questions about it. We're aware that the Kodiak uh, Baptist Mission is trying to stand up some child care uh, services at this time for parents that are feeling the pinch. We also are mindful that 
you know, this has huge economic impacts on parents not being able to go to work, uh, missing out on paychecks. And so we're uh, doing everything we can, at least at the borough, uh, to make sure that doesn't happen to our employees. And we're working with the uh, Baptist Mission and anyone else that's uh, working on child care to try to make sure that child care is available so people can get to work. Um, this is going to have, and if you haven't been paying attention to the stock market and the other financial indices out there, this is going to have huge financial impacts on our country, and we're working to try to minimize those at the local level to the extent possible, while at the same time trying to keep everyone separated. It's quite yeah. a challenge. You folks have been um, a, a working group. But how? What level of working has you have you increased? I mean, did, did you used to meet like on a quarterly basis or as necessary and and are, have, when did you really kick into gear on this virus issue and how, how much work are you doing now and how, where, where do you anticipate it going? I mean, I guess I'm asking, when did we start preparing and if there is a level associated to where we're at right now, where are we at? I think we started uh, addressing the concerns uh, about the 9th of this month. Our first ESC meeting, I believe, was on the 11th. Of March? Yes. We, st we started monitoring and uh, actually pulling out the pandemic annex for the, the checklist that we have in there uh, in January. Started uh, down the down, uh, going through the information there, uh, reviewing the policy and everything, as well as uh, plugging in the information flow as it came out. Because at that point in time, it had not gone. We were still countrywide. Uh, really waiting to see what was happening over in uh, China, mainland Asia, so forth and so on, and how it was progressing. Uh, and as it began layering on, we started having uh, IMT meetings into February. The Emergency Services Council meeting was pulled together uh, shortly thereafter. And then we, in this month, we've really started kicking off more and more to get that information flow to dial down because the threat in the beginning was, as the, as the entire country was, kind of holding their breath, so to speak, in the beginning to see, okay, is this something that's going to stop and, and not go any further, as happened in, the, in some of these previous infections and stuff. Uh, as it progressed and got worse and worse and worse, we stood up to a higher level to where we are today. On behalf of the borough, we st uh, have been monitoring this for a number of months. We started seriously discussing um, what we would need to do to be able to continue to provide essential services uh, a couple of months ago. Um, the one thing that we want to avoid is any secondary and tertiary effects. Some of those are unavoidable, such as people needing childcare. Um, but other things, like making sure we can still provide uh, landfill services. We don't want trash piling up in the streets. We want Alaska Waste to be able to collect trash and take it to the landfill so we don't have those secondary problems. And so we've been working on that for a couple of months now. Is there is there messaging that needs to go out from your group to the population? Is that part of what the forum is tonight, informational? <laughs> yes, tonight at 6 o'clock, beginning at 6 o'clock, um, this will be streamed on the Kodiak Island Borough School District webpage. Um, the Emergency Services Council will 
be present to announce uh, some updates and then we will have um, some que frequently asked questions from the community that we'll be answering publicly. Um, but not taking calls. We won't be taking calls. Tonight. You're just anticipating what people's questions are going to be ba based on the work you've already been doing, right? Correct. We're going to address the most most common questions tonight at 6 o'clock. There's a wealth of information on what people should be doing on the CDC website as well as the state uh, website. Um, the big message that people need to understand and implement is we have to practice social distancing. Don't shake hands. Keep six feet between people. Um, avoid large gatherings. Those are the things that work to slow a pandemic um, so that you can keep the numbers in a manageable form. We don't want to end up like Italy where there's hospital patients laying on asphalt in the parking lot because they're overwhelmed because there was no social distancing occurring uh, at the initial outbreaks of um, COVID-19 in Italy. So the big message we're trying to get out is we, you need to practice these social distancing. Um, you don't need to go panic by. Uh, I hope no one takes this the wrong way, but of all the things associated with COVID-19, explosive diarrhea is not part of the mix. Quit buying toilet paper like it's never going to be available again. Um, <laughs> sorry, I, it's just it's a reality. It's a reality, and it's something that they see happening. So yeah, um, it is a reality that people are running out, panic buying toilet paper. But the reality is, um, toilet paper and Barges are continuing to come in. Other food stuff continues to come in. Um, you may have to disrupt your diet a little bit and eat uh, some different things, but uh, you know, food's still coming in. Toilet paper's still coming in. All of these products are still uh, being manufactured and coming in, and so um, avoid those types of behaviors. One thing I do want to put out to, to touch base or add into this uh, if people are sick, if people are having problems, they need to call their health care providers, um, not show up at the door saying, I'm sick. They need to contact all their health care provider before they show up so that they can receive direction from their health care providers. The state has set up the 211 system for information, so any, any citizen out there can contact that to get uh, more information from public health and from the state on as far as uh, the, the disease and that kind of thing as well. But really need to get out that if people are sick, uh, stay at home, contact your uh, health care provider for direction. Uh, we don't want people just showing up to the ER or showing up, just walking through the door with this because if they have it, then there's a high probability that they will transmit it to others, especially our health care providers. This is a finite group of uh, men and women that are doing their best and uh, to help meet this need. So we need to protect them just as much as everything. So uh, calling ahead really makes a difference. Well, my understanding of it is if you, if you are feeling bad and you call your health care provider, it, you're going to get isolated for a couple of weeks, right? Well, that would be the expectation. It's what we're trying to do now is if uh, they, they will direct you from there listening to your uh, – the, what's going on, and then they'll make some directions from there, whether they, whether it is to go in, whether what they're going to do. So uh, if they do say social isolation, yes, and or isolation, then yes, it's 
want you to stay separated for, you know, for 14 days is the standard right now. Um, but they really need to talk to the health care provider. Uh, don't want to just give general information out to say everybody locked down for 14 days. If they're sick, contact your health care provider. They will then in turn give you direction and then figure it out from there what they need to do for treatment, so forth and so on. Just on supply and one of one thing, for for cleanliness when you're dealing with this, there seems to be a shortage of bleach, of hand wipes, of those kind of things that we could use to protect surfaces. <laughs> Is that a concern? Something that that you folks have anything to do with? So we can't manufacture bleach, but yes, it's a concern that we're paying attention to. Um, you can always mix uh, chlorine bleach with water, go on the web to find the appropriate formula and use that as a cleaning product. And there's other ways of disinfecting surfaces that are available. So um, this is probably also a good time to talk with your neighbors and help them out as well. So in, in terms of the, the public facilities that are now closed, but you still have employees in there, how do, how do you deal with cleanliness in, in the borough and the city and the fire department? So I'll, I'll start by talking about the borough building. We own the building. We actually uh, lease to the city office space. Our janitorial services are disinfecting surfaces on a regular basis. We do have a fairly large supply of disinfectant that will kill viruses and bacteria. So we're doing that on a regular basis. We also are spot uh, cleaning as needed, like at our front counter currently, and com commonly touched surfaces. Um, we have a supply of wipes and other, and uh, hand sanitizer that we're encouraging our employees, all employees in the building to use and then we're maintaining social distances. While I've been uh, quoted uh, talking uh, negatively about the borough building, the one upside of that building right now is because of all of the office space that's available, most of the employees are separated, and so it creates that social distancing while still allowing us to work. And so it, today, it's a real benefit to have all that space and being able to spread out. Yeah. So the city's doing very similar um, to the borough. <clears throat> I think uh, most agencies are doing this. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, we have janitorial services. They're doing deep cleaning. They're, they're still working on their normal uh, schedule. Um, all of our facilities are being um, addressed through our contracted janitorial services or our staff. <coughs> At the fire department, uh, we are the medical services that responds with the ambulances. So we already maintain a high level of cleanliness there as it is to, ma to uh, maintain for uh, patient health and uh, responder health. So uh, we've added a few layers just to hit some of the, the little nooks and crannies that maybe not necessarily got done in the past. But uh, we are continuing to uh, decon or decontaminate our ambulances after every single call. Yeah. Uh, our responders are decontaminating after every single call uh, so that it keeps the responders healthy and res and respondable, but also that when we do show up and put a patient in the back of the ambulance, that there, there, there is no fear for them that, you know, that, well, this could be infected. It's not. We, we are taking the extraordinary steps to ensure that that does not happen. Now, 
break it down a little bit. I mean, for for somebody who's not familiar with the process, what what what's involved when you have to disinfect an ambulance? Well, to start with, it's it, the disinfecting uh, responds to what was the call, what was the nature of the person put in the back. Uh, from there, it can be uh, cleaning all hard surfaces with a um, healthcare level uh, viricide cleaner. Uh, every, all the surfaces get wiped down, they get sprayed down, all the equipment that was used, uh, whether it is a, a blood pressure cuff, a stethoscope, or any other equipment is uh, thoroughly cleaned in the same fashion. All of our stuff that we use on patients, uh, as far as um, uh, pads, if we have to use our AED, uh, if we have to put um, some form of breathing device in their mouths and stuff, they are all single use. So once the, the call is done, they are, they are then um, destroyed so that they're not reused. The only stuff that's reused are the, the real, the, the hard items. So our uh, defib defibrillator machine is something that gets biocided. It's kept to the side. It's covered. Uh, the, the wires that come off are cleaned, and then the probes and stuff that are on the end are all dis are all disposable. So we use them once, then they get they get destroyed from there. Do we have enough product? Do we have enough masks? Do we have enough um, uh, uh, viricide? Do we have everything? To keep I have enough stock on on hand to last me for uh, quite a while right now. Clearly, if we get a large amount of calls, it will impact my stock, and I'll be working with the state to ensure that we get a, a continuous flow. Just like everybody else, it's difficult to get masks and stuff of that nature. It's one of the reasons why, as well as pointing out that we don't need people buying up all the N95 masks in the country, because one, they don't work for the general public unless they're fit tested, all these other steps that take place. The other is they're using the very things that the healthcare providers and the emergency medical services needs to protect our responders when we come into these these scenes. Right. So you folks have been being, been meeting a lot, you know, in over the last couple of days and have met this morning and are now are going to meet again at five o'clock and then address the public at six o'clock in a public forum, um, and it gives people an opportunity to hear from you what the local response is going to be. So I, I, I'm assuming you, you kind of have an idea of where you're going to go already, but you, you, you haven't formalized that as of yet? Well, <clears throat> tonight, you know, we're following the directions of the state and the, and the medical officer, but uh, tonight we're going to um, consider a declaration of health emergency in Kodiak. That'll, well, that'll be at five o'clock. What will that mean for us if it gets declared? Well, that'll mean there's powers that are um, instituted by code and in our emergency operation plan that we can uh, affect um, certain areas within the community that need to be protected. So, similar to what the governor did by closing down facilities or making um, directives to uh, limit this exposure. I got you. Okay, so since it's our advantage to having you here, <coughs> excuse me right now, is that uh, people get an opportunity to ask questions that they may not have at this forum tonight. So if you have a question you'd like to have addressed to one of these folks, uh, please send it to lowdown at camxt.org or call call our number. Somebody will bring the question in for sort of the last 
the last balance of the show then. We'll try and take questions from people who have them. The first one that came in was about census takers. Um, What are we going to do with the census? So I'll start on that one. Um, I've been working closely with the census for the last year and a half. Uh, This will be my fourth census I've been through while working in local government. And so I started working with them quite some time ago. Uh, we, I had a conversation with the uh, supervisor yesterday or the day before, sorry, the days are kind of blurring together, about concerns of having them going door-to-door asking questions. And so they're very mindful that people aren't are supposed to be socially uh, isolated, that we're trying to flatten the curve. And so they were seeking input on how they could do it in a manner that would uh, limit contact. And so what I expect is that the census will still go door to door, but when you answer your door, they're going to back away to six to eight feet and ask questions. One of the upsides that we learned out of the 1918 pandemic is that sunshine and fresh air are both actually natural disinfectants. And so spreading out and even standing outside doing the questions from six feet, seven feet away um, reduces potential risk. And um, so they're trying to figure out how do we do what's mandated while at the same time dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, you, you, you mentioned earlier, this, which just... Uh, it just flashed into my head that, that you said something about the the Baptist Mission offering pop-up services, and I had heard that um, there was a potential for testing at a pop-up facility. I mean, is that something that we're going to see a lot more of, of, of temporary structures which are outdoors that people can access, maybe groceries, maybe medication? Um some kind of services I just thought about in terms of the census where, you know, if you had a place like that, would that be something that would be a possibility? I'll let Jim answer that, but I'll make a comment that we're, we're doing things differently because we're uh, seeing something that we haven't seen lately. And so people are thinking outside the box and how we can keep some distancing. So <clears throat> I know that's happening. I know the senior center is doing that as well and others are doing that, but Jim I think the this is an ever-evolving uh, response. The more we learn about the virus itself, the more we learn um, from the, the federal government, the state government, the, the better planning and the better response we can make here in the community. Uh, I could anticipate, you know, there there will be some stuff coming up where uh, we don't want like healthcare for if for eventual testing, uh, doing it in an offsite where. We're not flooding, you know, clinics. We're not flooding the hospital stuff of that nature just for the testing processes and stuff. So, uh, I would anticipate that you would see stuff like that coming up. Um, if it's something for the the general public is that we need to get them to, we get the information out through our informational sources. You guys are a vital partner in that as well, to uh, what the, what the process is and uh, to meet that need. So, ideally, it goes back to like Michael was alluding to, the social distancing and stuff. That that is imperative. This. If people follow the social distancing, washing their hands multiple times a day, um, not touching their face, stuff of that nature, we can stop this. 
we can stop this 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 virus spread but it's it's a communal event everybody it's not just the government it's not just business owners everybody needs to step up to the plate and follow these guidelines that are coming out if i may add to that a little bit we're, we are already seeing some of that the school district is handing out lunches they're not you know they're handing them out at the curb the senior center is doing the same thing for senior meals um, so I would expect, and we are working on those types of services for a variety of different things. Um, fortunately, we don't see huge numbers of people at pharmacies, for example, so they may not be forced to do something along those lines, but certainly I could see us figuring out home delivery of foods for people who are sick and other things that allow us to socially distance, but at the same time provide services or needed goods. Um, we have a question about the test kits. Comes up a lot. Do we have any? Do we have some? Do we have enough? If we don't, how do we get more? I've been uh, part of a, a healthcare provider work group that's dealing with this issue right now. We, we have the ability to perform the sampling here on the island. Uh, they're working on ensuring that they have enough to meet our needs through their supply channel stuff of that nature but we have stuff on the island that we can test currently there is not wide based testing we're not testing every citizen that's why they need to contact their health care provider and the decisions will be made between the patient and the health care provider as to where they're going to go whether or not they do need to be tested that kind of thing so again for for people that are really asking about that they need to go through the health care provider there are a finite number of tests throughout the entire country. So uh, we're, they have not gotten to the point where they can say, okay, we're going to test everybody in the community. Uh, at this point in time, you know, we're, we're not seeing the uh, number of people with the, the, the uh, primary problems from this, this virus here in Kodiak. We're not seeing it in Alaska yet. You know, they have, some, they have six confirmed cases in Alaska. Uh, Fairbanks, Anchorage, and down in Ketchikan. So that should be a reminder. Everybody, again, rolls back to the social uh, distancing, so forth and so on. And then the healthcare system, the healthcare providers will make the decisions on whether or not somebody needs to get a test. Gotcha. Oh, it's a, a question about safety in, the, um, in regards to credit card purchases. Um, when people are... We talked with Mike Murray yesterday a little bit, talked about money and money and, and the relationship to pandemic seems to be a real problem. And now with credit card purchases as well, you know, I'm not sure you guys have any control over that, but do you? I mean, is there a, a way that you could legitimately um, direct different types of transactions? Well, I think actually the the overriding question or the answer to this is, if you're washing your hands routinely throughout the day, this disease does not go through the skin. It it's, goes through your face. It goes through your nose, through your mouth kind of thing. So that's part of not touching your face and washing your hands routinely. So if you use your credit card, I know uh, Mike Murray up there, they have uh, hand sanitizer right there next to the, to the uh, checkouts. Use your credit card, put it away, use, your, use the hand sanitizer, clean your hands, and you're good to go from there. So, so you're not concerned about it? Uh, it's, it's like anything that touching hard surfaces on countertops and stuff like that, uh, not properly disinfected. It could be there. 
not to make everybody paranoid, but it, that really rolls back into those basics of washing your hands routinely, you know, not touching your face so that if, if by chance you touch a con, uh, contaminated surface and it's on your hands, when you wash them properly, good soap and water, front and back, 30 seconds or more, and rinse your hands, then it kills the virus and it's done. Okay. As far as security patrols, we have those controls already in place. So <clears throat> the city takes credit cards, um, and we can take them over the phone, but we have a protocol in place to, to destroy those numbers after the transaction's taken place. Gotcha. And I would just add that it w if you're going to purchase things online, make sure you're purchasing from reputable sites. Um, anytime there's anything going on in the world, there's always scammers out there popping up. So be very careful. Um, I know through PayPal lately, there's been a lot of phishing attempts of stuff that looks like PayPal. Um, we've seen it at the borough. Other people have commented <laughs> on it. So just make sure you're using reputable sites if you're using your credit card for online purchases. There does seem to be a, a massive proliferation of fake stuff that's coming out. I mean, I know that it's a, a huge problem in Asia. Um, people are selling fake masks. and uh, it, it, Is this the kind of thing that people should hit the internet for to try and so per, you know i would suggest at least for ma as far as masks go masks aren't very useful unless they're fit tested at least n95s and above so buying those are somewhat of a waste for most people and i saw a person walking around with one where i could see visible gaps in the mask on the person that person was getting absolutely no benefit from the mass that they had gone out and spent. As far as purchasing groceries or other needed items, um, we all know how slow um, things are to get here sometimes, and since it seems like the internet sales are more like Christmas time than the rest of the year, um, that's probably not necessarily the fastest way to get supplies that you may need. Um, so I would, I would think reasonableness would be the buzzword to associate with doing online purchases. Okay. Well, before we went on the air, we talked a little bit about the supply chain and whether or not you're concerned about whether or not it's going to be disrupted. Your your early read on that. Everything from Matson, who, who brings in a majority of our goods via the container ship, they're not anticipating any interruptions in their service right now. The ships are running as they, as they normally do. Uh, the supply chains for... Was it? Twice a week. Yeah, twi yeah the two times a week is, is the current uh, deliveries. Uh, people, when they go to the stores, they are going to see some stuff that is just it, the actual manufacturer is struggling to catch up to the demand. You know, no one three months ago was ready to put out the amount of toilet paper that this country has gone through in a week. You know, so that the, the, there's going to be a little bit of a slowdown as, as the manufacturers get caught up. But there is no food shortage. There there will be food in the in the in the markets. We're watching it. Uh, Madsen's watching it. You know, the governor's watching it. The president's watching it. You know, there's a lot of groups that are looking at that very thing. And being Alaskans. Uh, we are resilient, so 
we already have uh, ways of maintaining our own food in our homes and stuff, as we should anyway for earthquakes and tsunamis. You know, we've always recommended having at least two weeks of food in the house. Um, so the panic buying and whatnot, as Michael's alluded to as well, is, you know, people really need to take a step back, absolutely buy what you need, but don't overbuy because this, the supply will still be there. And that allows our friends and our neighbors also to be able to get what they need for their homes. So, the, Mike, go ahead. You. Yeah, so just a couple of days ago, we heard uh, Mayor Berkowitz in Anchorage also state that the Port of uh, Alaska in Anchorage is seeing regular shipments and there's no disruption there. So food is coming into the state from many locations. If right now we know we have, it doesn't appear like the food supply is going to go down. There's 15 days worth of food with constant resupplying of food. If the recommendation is two weeks now, but realistically maybe a month, um, and and you're trying to supply yourself with 30 days worth of food in your house. If, I mean, ultimately, if we want complete social distancing, we want people pretty much to stay home for a month, right? So you have to have enough supplies in your house for a month to be able to to, to hunker down. My question is, after the month is up, though, are, are we going to be assured that it's going to be a safe place to to go to when we need resupply? I think, as I've said before, this is an ever ever changing and evolving situation. Uh, everything to date right now says that we're going to be okay. The supplies are going to continue to flow. The ships are going to continue to move. Stuff of that nature. As we move forward into this, we'll address things as they change. Um, I, th I think it would be irresponsible to step forward and say that you know, we can guarantee that in three months, this is where we're going to be at. We simply don't know at this point. Yeah. And it's not just here on Kodiak. It's nationwide. You know, These questions are being asked, and the response is, is pretty much the same thing. We're, we're going to have to address these issues as they come up. That's what the Emergency Services Council is for. That's what the Emergency Operations Center is for, so that we have that core in the government to be able to assist and respond to these things as they come up. So we can reach out utilizing governmental um, entities to, if, if we have problems getting something here, to be able to reach out and say, okay, we need to get the medica medications. If the medication is ever made, when it's made to combat this, we have a plan, we have practiced it, and we would be moving that medication from the national stockpile to Kodiak and then distribute it from there. So it's an example of how that's something that the EOC, the Emergency Services Council, and the director would be involved in to ensure that that happens and that every citizen would get their medication from there. And keep in mind that like the flu, um, COVID-19 is going to move through the community. It's not like one person on Kodiak gets the flu and then suddenly everyone's sick in the next two weeks and then the flu's done in Kodiak. So it will be a ongoing process, um, but we don't anticipate that we're going to just lock down the city and tell everyone you will not come out of your homes for the next two weeks. And I think there's been some people that have been afraid that was what was going to happen, and that's not the intention. So you folks are, are stepping up the stepping up your response to the public and and probably meeting what what level of alert are we going into tonight? 
Well, that's a good question. We do have levels of alert uh, in our EOC operation plan. Jim, do you want to? Well, in our pandemic, uh, our pandemic plan, it actually has six phases that are that we respond to in the plan itself. Um, phase six is is the highest level of how we respond, meaning that at that point, it's something that's gotten in the community. It's running rampant, so forth and so on. We're no, we're not near that. Right. So we're actually down in phase, uh, between phases three and four by the plan. Uh, that's the the precautionary, uh, the the pre steps. So shutting down, uh, like the governor's done, shutting down the bars, the restaurants, and stuff like that. That that's a precautionary method, method or uh, measure to ensure social distancing is the primary right there. So that way, that way, if and when that disease gets here, it has a limited way of getting from person to person to person. So very much we're we're in the mid fr- uh, mid uh, phases here in our response. And part of declaring an emergency, the stuff that the council is looking at now is giving us the tools that we need so that when that next step comes, we're absolutely prepared to step up, the, uh, step into that phase and, and respond. This community forum tonight at 6 o'clock will be live streamed and it's also on KMXT. But do you anticipate this is going to be kind of a regular thing where you're going to uh, have a regular forum and let people know what? What's going on? I think as, if things develop uh, even further, that's a possibility. But we're going to continue to put out press releases um, per, for sure weekly. Um, and as urgency uh, arises, we'll be more frequent. So um, I think the, the message that we all want to convey is get the communication out to the public so that they know where we're at, how we're, how we're responding as a community. And... Um, to do that, it's through press releases or any, some sort of media releases like today. Okay. Thank you, all for what for coming in and for, for doing what you do. And tune in tonight at 6 o'clock for uh, a community forum. Thank you much. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, that was The Lowdown with Mike Powers, Mike Twingy, and uh, Jim Mulliken from the City, Borough, and the Fire Department. Lots of good information there. We'll have that audio up on our website soon. Now we're going to join a program, a live call-in national program with APM. Uh, the guests will be uh, several guests from the Mayo Clinic and um, others that will be taking calls today from 9A, no, excuse me, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. today and tomorrow we'll be broadcasting this show and tonight we will broadcast the live community forum being put on by the borough and the emergency services council um, and that will be here on KMXT. Now this other program. KMXT Kodiak 100.1 FM. Yeah. Hey Greg we're gonna take the mics down here. And that's live radio. COVID-19, hard questions, real answers, is supported by Battelle. 
Hi, I'm Carrie Miller of Minnesota Public Radio, and I'm here with two doctors from the renowned Mayo Clinic. This is an hour of science, medicine, and facts about the race to beat COVID-19. And we're taking live calls from around the country. Americans are coming to terms with a new reality. Try to avoid the outbreak and try to get good care if it does hit home. In the midst of uncertainty, we're here with answers from a trusted source. Your questions and your stories drive the hour. What's your experience with the disease? What do you want to know about how to care for yourself or a loved one if you get sick? BBC News, I'm John Shea. The United States and Canada have agreed to close their border to non-essential traffic as governments around the world impose restrictions on movement in response to the coronavirus pandemic. The move will not affect trade. The Canadian Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, announced the decision. Travellers will no longer be permitted to cross the border for recreation and tourism. In both our countries, we're encouraging people to stay home. Well, this collaborative and reciprocal measure is an extension of that prudent approach. President Trump says the U.S. Navy is dispatching two hospital ships to help with coronavirus patients, one to New York Harbour and the other to the U.S. West Coast. The ships have a capacity of around 1,000 beds as well as operating theatres. The authorities are also retrofitting existing hospitals and creating mobile hospitals to care for hundreds more people. Italy has registered a big increase in deaths from the virus, with 475 people dying in the past day. Civil protection officials said nearly 3,000 people in total had died in Italy, where almost 36,000 people have been infected since the virus first reached Europe. In Germany, Chancellor Angela Merkel is to give an unprecedented televised address in which she'll call the pandemic the country's greatest challenge since the Second World War. Share prices in New York have continued to plummet. The Dow Jones has dropped by more than 8% following earlier falls on European and Asian markets. The Dow is now lower than when Donald Trump took office. The president has yet to give details of a planned support package for the US economy, adding to uncertainty among traders. Samira Hussein is in New York. I think this is really going to be the theme that we're going to see over the next several weeks. The end of the day yesterday, it seemed like the stimulus packages being announced by the White House and some of the words that you were hearing from Congress, it sort of gave investors a little bit of confidence. But you wake up again and it's another day and it's another route of news that is really making Wall Street very nervous. Sub-Saharan Africa has recorded its first deaths from the coronavirus. In all, four people have died. So far, African countries have seen a relatively slow rise in the number of cases, but there are warnings that strained public health systems could become overwhelmed quickly across the region. The head of the WHO, Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, has urged governments across Africa to learn from the experience of other parts of the world. The best advice for Africa is to prepare for the worst and prepare today. And that's why we're saying we have to do the testing, we have to do the contact tracing, we have to do the isolating. And with regard to mass gathering and so on, it will help if we avoid that. And I think uh, Africa should wake up. My continent should wake up. This is the latest world news from the BBC. The United States peace envoy to Afghanistan, Zameh Khalilzad, says the outbreak of the coronavirus makes the immediate release of prisoners all the more necessary. The release of both Taliban and Afghan government prisoners was part of the recent deal agreed by the US and the Afghan Taliban. 
One of the world's largest television events, the Eurovision Song Contest, has been called off due to the virus outbreak. Here in Britain, Europe's biggest open-air music festival, Glastonbury, has also been postponed until next year, as Rebecca Jones reports. Taylor Swift, Paul McCartney and Kendrick Lamar were scheduled to headline Glastonbury's famous Pyramid Stage in June. Organisers said although they hoped the situation in the UK would have improved by then, it was not viable for thousands of people to spend the next three months on the site in Somerset preparing for the event. They apologised for letting fans down. In other news, Gulnara Karimova, who was once tipped to succeed her late father as president of Uzbekistan, has been sentenced to 13 years imprisonment. In, excuse me. In... In order to understand and deliver market solutions that address the emerging health threats, including novel coronavirus and other infectious diseases. More at patel.org solving. Patel, it can be done. I'm Carrie Miller at NPR News in St. Paul, Minnesota, and this is a national call-in special about the new coronavirus called COVID-19, hard questions, real answers. As of this hour, there are more than 7,000 confirmed cases in the United States, but testing for the virus is still not widespread or as widespread as it should be. Closed businesses, curfews, and guidelines on social distancing are in place but no one is yet sure whether it's having an effect on the way the virus appears to be moving through our communities. And that is deeply concerning to public health experts like Dr. Ajish Jha. I and every public health person I know is deeply worried about what is gonna happen over the next week or two. And therefore, we need to do this nationally. Every state should cancel every public event, restaurants, bars, no gatherings, of five people or more. For the next hour, infectious disease experts from Mayo Clinic will field my questions and your calls about what is known and still unknown about the new coronavirus, how it's spreading, how your family should prepare, who is most at risk and why. We'll take as many of your calls as we can get to in an hour. So let's begin. What are you most concerned about as you watch this pandemic unfold? Are you confident that the measures that public health authorities and governments are recommending are enough? Are you making some changes to your daily routine? Here's the phone number, 800-242-2828. That's 800-242-2828. You can reach me on Twitter, at Carrie, K-E-R-R-I-M, as in Minnesota, PR. 
Our guest this hour, Dr. Greg Poland, is a vaccine researcher and infectious disease specialist and director of Mayo Clinic's Vaccine Research Group. He is with us today from Naples, Florida. Dr. Poland, welcome. It's good to have you on this special. Thank you, Carrie. Good to talk with you again. Dr. Nipuni Rajapaksi is with us. She's a pediatric infectious disease physician with Mayo Clinic, and she is with me in the studio here in St. Paul. And Dr. Rajapaksi, welcome. Good to have you on the show. Thank you for having me today. Uh, Dr. Poland, is this new virus with its fatality rate, and I want to talk about that in a minute, and the way it is spreading through the community, is it behaving the way you would expect, or are there some characteristics about it that you are finding unexpected? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's nothing terribly unusual about the way it spreads. I guess there have been some surprises along the way that we need to further confirm. For example, some studies suggesting that people who have the disease and then recover, have no symptoms, and uh, have negative tests, then become positive. Is that real? Is it a testing fallacy? There's some work to do there. And I think the other thing is uh, people who are asymptomatic, that is who don't uh, exhibit any symptoms and yet have abnormalities on CT or chest X-ray. And the spread of virus from asymptomatic and presumably from asymptomatic individuals. So those are some things that are uh, different than say SARS-CoV-1 from back in 2002. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dr. Rajapaksi, I'm going to take a call for you from a family physician in Chicago. Hi, Laura. Thanks so much for calling. Hi. Yeah, thank you so much for taking my call. Um, doctor, I, um, I'm wondering, you know, for the general practitioners out here, we are not getting very much guidance 